RTL Original Podcast. Welcome to episode number eight of DNA Luxembourg Crime Podcast. Today we discuss the case of Camille Kolber, a 71-year-old man who lived by himself in a big house on the Kilebirge of Hassel in southeastern Luxembourg. On the 31st of October 2010, an intruder broke into his house in the middle of the night, found his way into Camille's bedroom and killed him with an axe. The killer left mysterious symbols at and around the crime scene, all linked to faith and religion. What was the killer's motif? And why was the life of a man who seemed well-liked by the community and who was quietly enjoying his pension ended in such a brutal way? This is DNA. So today's case takes place in the village of Hassel, which is a town, as mentioned in the introduction, in southeastern Luxembourg, a town with only a few hundred inhabitants, really a, a typical Luxembourg village. At the time of his death, Camille Kolber, a Luxembourgish pensioner, was 71 years old. Friends of Camille said that he was a man with a big, generous heart, someone who would never harm a fly and who was appreciated by the local community. He seemed to live a well-balanced life. He liked to drink, but was not an alcoholic. He enjoyed good food, but was also a sporty individual. He was also a sociable person and liked to welcome a lot of guests over to his home. And something that is quite important in this story is that he was also a wealthy man. His fortune was calculated at around 4 million euros, although he was said to have debts of around 1.5 million euros. Now, in this crime case, there are a couple of people who were believed to have been linked to Camille's death. People that Camille began meeting in the years prior to the unexpected end of his life. In 2004, when Camille was 65 years old, he falls in love with a man called Pascal. Camille had been living alone for a while, but I could not find any information on his family background, whether he had family or kids or was ever married. Pascal is 44 years old, so there's an age difference of 25 years. The two get along very well at the start of the relationship, but instead of marrying, Camille legally adopts Pascal. Now, the adoption framework in Luxembourg has two different parts. There is simple adoption and plenary adoption, also known as full adoption. With simple adoption, the adopted person legally remains part of their origin family and the adoptive family is added, so to speak. So imagine the adopted person as having two families. With plenary adoption, on the other hand, the link is cut completely. Only the adoptive family remains. Now, there is no age limit, but the person executing the adoption has to be at least 25 years old. And there must also be a minimum age gap of 15 years between the person who wishes to adopt and the adopted person. 
With adults, however, the only form of adoption that is possible is simple adoption. And due to their age difference of 25 years, Pascal is legally adopted as a son, plus Camille decides to add him to his testament as the sole beneficiary. Soon after, a third person enters Camille and Pascal's life. His name is Jeremy. But Jeremy ends up falling in love with Pascal, and not with Camille, and they quickly make plans to launch a bed and breakfast in Canada together. So from the start of this relationship, and from the start of Jeremy entering this relationship, Camille is excluded. There's a strange atmosphere at home. Camille finds himself blackmailed and threatened by the people around him quite frequently, even by Pascal and Jeremy themselves. And one of the big reasons could be Camille's wealth. Camille is fed up with the situation and ends his relationship with Pascal in 2008. Later that year, he also decides to scrap Pascal from his testament, but in doing so, he names Pascal's brother, Julien, as the new beneficiary. It is not clear at what point Julien comes into the game, whether this was a three-way relationship, a simple friend, or something else we don't know. So let's talk about the night in question. On the 31st of October 2010, Camille is getting ready for a relaxed, cosy evening at home. He has a friend over. Together they open a bottle of wine and a bottle of champagne. They spend the evening together, and at 10pm the friend leaves. At some point that night, Camille locks up the house and heads off to bed. His dog, Tommy, sleeps beside him on the bedroom floor. But later that night, somebody enters Camille's home and murders him in his sleep with an axe. The dog remains unharmed and stays quiet. When police arrive at the scene, they immediately notice a strong contrast between the spot where Camille's body is found and other parts of the house. Investigators proceed by dividing the crime scene into several sections. The first section is the area surrounding the victim's body, an area which crime scene experts consider to be a calm one, with little interference from the murderer. The victim had received two blows to the head. The murder weapon had surprisingly been left at the scene, but was completely wiped clean, washed off. There were no traces of DNA on the axe. Moving out of the bedroom leads investigators into a hallway. This is where police come across several mysterious symbols and items that I briefly touched upon in the introduction. For example, there was a Bible lying on the table with a kitchen knife stuck into it. Someone had scribbled the word pedophile on a page. Was this true or a baseless accusation? Furthermore, there was a Christian cross which had been turned upside down, a reference of Christian values, turning one's back on faith, potentially. These were symbols that were most likely left behind by the criminal or group of criminals to portray a certain image of the crime scene, demand a certain interpretation, and they wanted them to be found by police. Experts called in a graphologist, a handwriting expert, to take a closer look at the scribbles in the Bible. Now, graphologists look at the details in the marks and the pen strokes to determine the similarities and differences with the handwriting of other people. Now, they may hold the key to a conviction, but of course handwriting is never the actual cause of death. The expert compares the scribbled word to the handwriting of ten other people, 
to the handwriting of ten other people that were in close contact with Camille. But after ruling out a first individual with absolutely no match, eight more that were close but not close enough, one person matches the handwriting rather precisely. It is the handwriting of a man called Edouard. So who is Edouard and how did he get involved in this story? In 2010, Jeremy asks a work colleague whether he knows of anyone who could make an end to Camille's life and whether he has any weapons to do the job. We know this because the witness who was approached by Jeremy eventually stepped forward to police. It is not clear whether the witness was the person who put Jeremy in touch with Edward directly, along with another woman called Marina. And Marina and Edward both know each other. On the final day of October in 2010, when Camille was killed, the duo Pascal and Jeremy were on holiday in France. They had an alibi for this, but of course that does not mean they are innocent. They may just have tasked someone else to do the dirty job. Investigators search Edouard's browsing history and trace his movements. They would discover that he spent a considerable amount of time on the internet researching police operations, but also looking up things like snake poison. According to Edward's lawyer, he was never in a stable financial situation and was thought to do anything for cash. Things are starting to point towards murder for hire. On the evening prior to Camille's death, Edouard's browsing history then indicates that he has been researching unsolved crime cases in Luxembourg. Then around 10pm, he drops offline. Between 10.15pm and 3.40am the next day, the time period that Edouard is offline, and also the time period in which the coroner believes Camille to have died, Edouard does not have an alibi. Shortly after 4am, however, Edouard appears back online when he is watching porn and reading RTL news. That afternoon, the record shows that there is frequent contact between Edouard and Jeremy in form of text messages. Edouard receives a message from Jeremy stating, Sorry, I did not receive the payment for the car. Code language? What does it mean? Does it indicate the job has been done? And is Edouard expecting his payment? In the following weeks, Edouard is very active on the web, scouring new sites about any information linked to the Hassel murder. Police are keeping a close eye on Edouard, but they need more proof prior to an arrest. Some police officers are tasked with tracking his movements and following him around wherever he goes. And one day, the undercover officers trail Edouard to a parking lot of a sports store in Le Delange, where he has planned to meet with Jeremy. Edouard takes a strange route to shake off any potential followers, makes a lot of turns and eventually ends up in Le Delange. And at the parking lot, Jeremy hands over what later turns out to be 4,000 euros in cash to Edouard. Was this the reward for the liquidation of Camille Colbert? Taking a life should have no monetary value, but 4,000 euros surely is not a lot. Meanwhile, the handwriting expert that was called in to analyse the scribbles in the Bible concludes with 90% chance that the word pedophile was written by Edouard. 
However, this also means that 10 out of 100 times the expert can be wrong. The public prosecutor's office, however, is convinced and puts out an arrest warrant in collaboration with neighbouring countries. Edouard is arrested in Luxembourg, Jeremy and Pascal are located in Versailles by French police. So just to recap, the investigation has four main suspects. There is Edouard, the presumed killer, then Marina, who established the contact, Pascal and Jeremy. And even though the duo Pascal and Jeremy had an alibi and were out of the country, they may have had an interest in liquidating Camille Colber. Marina is up next and invited to come to the police station because investigators want to find out how and to what extent she was involved in the crime, which could be aiding and abetting murder. But maybe she was tricked into something else. Well, the investigation becomes very grim because Marina ends up committing suicide prior to police questioning. She had hanged herself, leaving a letter behind to apologise to her family for taking her life. Meanwhile, Pascal, Jeremy and Edouard are in detention awaiting trial, when suddenly Pascal starts speaking up. He says Edouard committed the crime and that Jeremy gave the green light for the killing. He himself would not have been involved at all. He surprised investigators with this version of the story, as well as the other two in the cell. Edouard is obviously not happy with the story, and while watching RTL News that evening from his cell, he writes a letter to the station, which read the following. On the evening of 8 November 2011 at 7.30pm, you reported on the horrific crime in Hassel. You said that I, Edouard, pushed police on the track of the adoptive son and his partner, that is wrong. It is exactly the opposite. I must underline that all completed analysis, DNA, etc., do not match mine. Any testimonies I make to help substantiate my claims are being withheld from the court. Since the summer break, there has been no developments in the case. That's the normal way of the Luxembourgish Justice Department. As you were unable to match DNA with mine, I wonder how much longer I have to remain innocent behind bars. And that was the end of Edouard's letter. Court proceedings began in October 2013. Twenty court hearings were held to complete the trial at first instance. There were over one hundred witnesses that were heard. Pascal, 47 at the time, Jeremy, 39, and Edward, 42, throughout claimed they were innocent. The defence lawyer of the three defendants argued that there is an absence of traces of DNA and that the victim's dog behaved strangely, who was lying beside Camille when he was murdered. By the end of the first trial, all three of the men are sentenced to life imprisonment. The victim's adopted son, Pascal, was tried as the instigator of the crime. His new companion, Jeremy, did not stop him and would have given the necessary instructions. Edouard, meanwhile, is believed to have been the perpetrator who executed the crime with the axe. The judge read the following statement. The elements by themselves do not establish the facts, but putting them together is pretty compelling. So even though Edouard's DNA was not found at the scene of the crime, the history of his computer has revealed that, as of mid-August, research on the internet on various weapons and ways of killing had been carried out. 
The Public Prosecutor's Office has therefore requested confirmation of the life imprisonment for the three defendants. He added that in case of doubt, the Court of Appeal would hear witnesses again. And indeed, the case went on to the Court of Appeal, where the three men were acquitted. The defence argued that there was too much doubt and no clear evidence that these three men were involved in Camille's murder. Before being acquitted, the trio spent nearly four years in prison and they may now have the option of claiming damages, getting a life sentence at first instance and being acquitted by the Court of Appeal is rare. So to this day, the Hassel murder remains unsolved. Pascal, in December of 2011, two months after the death of his adopted father, waived his right to become the beneficiary. However, this could be a trick to seem innocent and saddened. In an interview with RTL following his release from prison, Pascal said that he knew who had killed his adopted father, but never would share a name. Pascal went on to write several books from prison as well. The house of Camille Colber was torn down in early 2012. And today, at the time of making this podcast, the murder remains a mystery. That's all we can tell you about the case of Camille Colber. And should there be any developments, of course, we will keep you updated in a follow-up episode or on our site today.rtl.lu. Now, before we head off, I would just like to say thank you to you, our listeners, because this is our last episode of this first season of DNA Luxembourg Crime Podcast. It's been a joy to make these episodes, to write up these scripts, to talk to the people who were involved in the cases and the journalism behind it. Thanks again for listening. If you do have the time, feel free to leave a review. Send us an email to audience at rtltoday.lu and just share a little comment. We would love to hear from you and I hope to see you very soon. With that, take care.